You're getting two dudes talking about whatever they want to talk about. Sort of. Welcome back to Pipecast. Month of September 2020. You guys thought we were dead in the water, but somehow we have resurrected it. We're making it a monthly thing. Yeah. We're trying to make it work. It lasted three months last time. We'll see how far we can make it this time. This time, I feel like we're going to go the stretch. We got some, we've got some new direct. This is going to be a, kind of an old format you guys are used to, where it's just sort of rambling. But we're actually going to try to format these a little bit more so we've got kind of a schedule of things coming up we're going to actually have talking points hopefully and we can actually sort of go through and make this more coherent where at least you guys have a guide of what we're going to be doing we're not getting rid of like pipes and tobacco or anything like that we'll still do the reviews of things we're actually smoking something new right now but uh we're going to have uh reviews of, of film and books and short stories yep something yep. that we like to do is uh read and sort of discuss then of course we'll have our pipes and tobacco to discuss as well so yep. you want to talk about some of the future content coming up yeah so uh, you know like he said we're gonna keep it to uh, month to month type thing so it may be on like a little rotating kind of basis where we'll We'll pretty much always, of course, talk about uh, pipes and pipe tobacco, uh, but it may rotate between uh, like a book, and then maybe the next time will be a short story and like a, a movie review, and maybe not necessarily a movie review, maybe sort of like a thematic movie review, if that makes sense, sort of movies that fit inside themes, so it might be multiple movies that we discuss. Don't really want to paint ourselves into a corner. No. But yeah, I mean, with with next next month being um, October, we uh, you know of course might be getting a little spooky with some of the content. Oh yeah. Uh, I think we got a a little theme that'll entice you, something that a little bit different that you might not be expecting. For this episode with uh, the Dune movie coming up, we're going to be reviewing book one of book one being Dune. So book one of the Dune. Cycle or Dune chronology, whatever it is. Yeah, so it's a, it's a three split book. Yeah. It's one book. Dune oh. is the book we will be discussing. It's split <laughs> into three portions, sections, also called books. Uh, <laughs> so it's a little confusing, but we're, we're going to be breaking down the first Dune book, which is going to be made into a film, uh, into three parts. There'll be Dune, Mobdeb, and the Messiah. Yeah. And we're going to do it, you know, per episode. We're not. We might not do it. We not. We might not do them uh straight away yeah, like, you yeah. know we might have some gaps in between but before december hits we should have discussed all uh, of all the parts and, well and at least from what i heard is the the movie will be split into two mm -hmm. which i my only assumption is that parts one and two will be in the movie mm -hmm. so we'll at least have everything done by december that will be in the movie right at least or we hope but yeah, that's sort of a thing. Uh, you know, we're going to discuss a little bit of Dune today. Yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah. get it kicked off. Yeah. If we don't, we're going to be behind. So it's not. It's going to be a little bit more of a free form review. Yeah. But then the, as time progresses, yeah. hopefully we're we're going to do more and more things that and, are going to be like a little bit more geared towards topics. As you'll start to realize, I I am not the liter literary mind here. That is Zach. So he'll he'll have the more in depth. I'm just I'm the 
what would you say? I'm the proxy. I'm the audience proxy. Yeah. That's... I'm like the Ant-Man in the Avengers. There I'm, go, I'm yeah. just there to relate to the audience. Right. I mean, I'm not like a... Uh, literary criticism can be kind of complicated. I'm not really a literary critic. I can tell you guys if it's... Like, some of the themes we'll discuss. And, uh, you know, Patrick and I will have some stuff to go over. And, um, and then we'll just kind of talk about maybe a little bit of the characters, things we like, things we don't like, whether or not it's worth a read, and if it's entertaining. Of course, I love Dune. Patrick likes Dune. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it really is going to defy criticism because we're probably only going to approach you with things that we like. The only thing that might be off from that is uh, we do want to discuss uh, some of the short stories of H.P. Lovecraft. Yep, yep. Um, and all of his and, buddies. All right, and I'm actually not a... F- there are some H.P. Lovecraft stories I don't like. Um, Call of Cthulhu is not particularly good, in my opinion. It's a it's a epistemology, epistol, yeah. It's a letter for it's a form yeah. letter. Like, and I don't like those all the time. They're not particularly interesting if they're not well written. Yeah, we'll discuss it more when we get to it. But there are things that we'll approach you guys with that are like staples of something. Yeah, but that that I'm not a big fan of. We just approaching it in that term yeah. so not everything's going to be favorite a favorite of ours yeah. but and 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 again <laughs> sort of coming back to being sort of like a me being along for the ride i i am a fan of lovecraftian things i am not as well versed in his actual stories i believe i've only read two i've read the call of cthulhu and the outsider which also i'll i'll read some as we go and that'll be another thing too talking about like movies we'll you know be reading some lovecraft short stories and then there's like three or four um, Stuart Gordon movies yeah. that are based on Lovecraft. I believe- yeah, and, and it, it, it'll be interesting to go through the Stuart... Because, okay, so like, there is... Man, there's a lot to discuss. <laughs> if you were to read, say, From Beyond, which is a Lovecraft story, and do a comparison of From Beyond by Stuart Gordon... Yes. The From Beyond that Stuart Gordon brought to the table is sort of... To me, it's it is more related to Hellraiser. Oh, okay, from beyond the from movie? beyond the movie is more akin to Hellraiser than anything. Um, and Hellraiser, as Patrick knows, and we will discuss, is a part of my uh, is really a part of my gay horror trilogy. Like you know, uh, what I consider the three prominent like gay movies for horror like literally like gay themed like talking about you know that community like that horror community like hellraiser and two others really kind of fit that mold yeah be expecting that for uh next month right so um so we'll be discussing like the kind of the that but from beyond has that same kind of thing. thing going on with it where it's very it's very sexualized, very BDSM. Uh-huh. Like their whole part, like it's really bizarre. Where it's sort of, I'd have to rewatch it. And to be honest with you, the first time I watched it, I was like, uh, "It's it, it." You think it's one thing, it takes you in a completely different direction. Yeah. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not. If you like what it's doing and it goes off into a different direction, sometimes that can be a negative. It's a little hokey. A little hokey. I watched the first half of Castle Freak, which I believe is supposed to be based on The Outsider, which being one that I have read, uh, it's way different. 
but and people I think people can't adapt Lovecraft. It's very mm-hmm. difficult I to watched, adapt him. I watched half of Reanimator. Okay, Reanimator, I mean, we might as well just say I made a Frankenstein movie. It has nothing to do with H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. So that was, was one thing I was gonna say is, me and Zach come from two different avenues of horror. So I'm a product of I don't know somebody who liked the atmosphere that was built in John Carpenter's Halloween, and that has sort of shaped my entire mindset of horror. You are definitely an 80s body horror kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so I'm sort of diving into that too. But I had to get to that. You don't, you, no one starts there, I yeah, don't think. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone has ever began with like David Cronenberg, mm-hmm. Stuart Gordon, or like uh, even the thing. I don't know if you would start yeah, there. Yeah, you, you, Carpenter to a certain extent. You just don't start. No, man, people don't start there. Mm-mm. I mean, like you got to think of it like this: is like how many people do you know that know Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, uh, Chucky, Leather. or Charles Lee Ray? Um, they probably don't know him as Charles Lee Ray, but they do know him as Chucky or the Candyman. Maybe even a little less so the Candyman, but like these iconic Leatherface, you know, killers, you know, anyone can name those. Not everyone can name, you know, Brindlefly or whatever from The Fly or, you know, I don't even know what the the villains really don't, they kind of forego names like the thing and the thing. Like people don't really think about that. The the priests and Hellraiser. Right. Well, a lot of people know Pinhead. They'll know the Cenobites to a certain extent. They probably won't know the full extent of them. I mean, I, it's actually shocking to me. I went to a Spirit Halloween over the weekend, and uh, I actually still see Beetlejuice mm-hmm. costumes, and I still see, you know, like things from my youth, my youth. Yeah. You know, I mean, like Beetlejuice was came out in what eighty eight, so we're what three decades behind that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, close to yeah, three decades. No, and wait. it hasn't been remade. And it hadn't been remade. The cartoon hasn't been out in three decades. It's actually shocking that people still under, know who Beetlejuice is. We may need to do an episode on that. The fact that there's some movies or intellectual properties that can stand the test of time and also not be sequelized or remade or rebooted or, you know, met, you know. My wife and I had an argument about that. Like, cause it was there was two costumes and she said, who knows? I can't remember what the other one is, I swear. Uh, they, she was like, who knows who that is? And I was like, well, who knows who Beetlejuice is? Mm-hmm. You know, at least Friday the 13th, uh, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Nightmare on Elm Street had remakes. Yeah. 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 They continue to have sequels and remakes and, and. But Beetlejuice was a one and done. One and done thing. You know, I mean, how many, I mean, it's kind of it sort of defies it a little bit because it's like, well, I mean, anyone can watch it. Yeah. But it's like, are people really watching Beetlejuice to that extent? What's funny about Beetlejuice... And these are kids' costumes. That's why it's confusing. Yeah. But what's funny about them is... It's almost like... which Would you classify Beetlejuice... What kind of movie... What genre does it fit? Horror comedy. Horror comedy. So, I guess because it is horror comedy... It sort of transcends horror because... Beetlejuice, to me, is talked about in the same vein as, like, Breakfast Club. Like, it's a... It's something that, like, hipsters attract to hipsters attract a breakfast club oh god when i was listen when i was fresh out of college if not maybe my last few years of college 
Like, Breakfast Club was like the bee's knees. Like, if you didn't talk about Breakfast Club, at least at one party, one weekend in a month. The John Hughes movie. Yes. Yes. Like, they're in detention? Yes. Okay. Well, that's weird. I know. And, I mean, nobody talked about Heather's, but... Well, that's the thing is, like, I mean, I assume you were going to say Heather's. If you're going to talk about, like, a continuation, a black comedy, yeah. something a little bit more niche, cultish, yeah. hipstery, I would say Heather's. And that's the point I was trying to make, is that Beetlejuice, to me, is talked about in the same way as Breakfast Club. It's something that every millennial believes you should have seen, and it's, per- it's perfection. And that you It's a always- really good you know, movie. Yeah, Beetlejuice is good. And I'll give it credit. But I'm just saying, it's weird that those, it fits in that category. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if it's weird that you assume, it's weird that you not assume, that you're telling me that people watched The Breakfast Club and held it in high regard that were hipsters. Now, that's the key word. Now, if yeah. you say just millennials like The Breakfast Club, it's like, well, yeah, okay. You know, it's a, it's a staple of, like, American, Americana, I guess, or cinema. But, like... I never heard Breakfast Club being talked about outside of hipstery people. Now it could just be because I I probably I probably got to Breakfast Club later. I probably didn't watch it until high school, probably. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. I mean, I didn't think it was the bee's knees. I mean, it was fine. I mean, it had some cool stuff. But I never really cared for. Most of, like, you know, everyone, this is like sacrilege, but like the only John Hughes movie that I really liked is Home Alone. Yeah, Home Alone. Like, Say Anything, The Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink. I mean, the guy's a prolific writer, but he doesn't do anything for me. I think we talked about it too. I like, it got panned real hard, but I like the original Dennis the Menace. I think he, I think he helped produce it. Oh, okay. But I know guy, that he... He might have done St. Elmo's Fire. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I'm sure there's some other stuff in there that, you know, John Hughes did that I liked. Oh, Ferris Bueller's pretty good. Well, see, okay. I was going to say, see, I think Ferris Bueller and Breakfast Club are the only two of his that I've seen. Hmm. I haven't seen Pretty in Pink or Sixteen Candles or any of those. Or see anything or anything like that. Yeah, I haven't seen those. And, and but I would just say both of them. Uh, they, well, definitely Ferris Bueller. If if I'm going to watch a movie that gives me the vibe of Ferris Bueller, I'm just going to watch Risky Business. I'd rather watch that because mm-hmm. it has a similar aesthetic. The Risky Business is better to me, but that's just me. I don't know. I look at movies as aesthetics. What are they? You know me. I, I, I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with that. I like that. atmosphere. I, mean, I, like, I, I like the the visuals, the atmosphere. What is it trying to? You know, approach? you you've. Uh, I know you've shied away from being having like sort of, or around me, maybe is yeah. the best way to say it. Or maybe you're shy about saying that you you think it's a bias that I don't like when someone says something is cinematic, right? Do I? Like you know how you'll you'll say, well, it's very cinematic. It's very the aesthetics. Like you're talking about the visuals. I'm assuming, right? I'm talking about the visuals and the, well, the emotions that it, they're, yeah, what the camera, the Does, camera alone right. is trying to tell you. And sometimes I think you shy away from that a teensy bit because you think that I don't like that or it's a bias, but like, I hate oh. Tom Cruise. Like, I have, oh yeah like, specific things <laughs> that I don't like. Like, yeah. I don't like, like, I, it's hard to watch a Tom Cruise movie because mm. I don't like him. I don't feel like, you know, even before 
uh, what, <laughs> what, you know, Scientology, I yeah. guess. You know, the, the whole, like, anti-Cruz, you know, when everyone was like, that guy's crazy. I was like, I always thought he was crazy. Yeah. Like, he doesn't ever seem genuine to me. He always seems, it's almost like, I, I've never seen him act genuine. Mm. And then even when he's in, in front of people, you know, he always acted insane. Yeah. During, the, like, before the Scientology thing really broke, some dude tried to prank him with a... Like, oh, sprayed him in the face with, like, a water microphone. And then, like, he, like, really went off on this dude. In really? kind of a really unnerving way. You know? And I was, but like, even like even before that, you watch any movies, and even critically acclaimed movies, like A Few Good Men, mm-hmm. and he just doesn't seem real. I, don't, I swear, like, people talk about, like, politicians and certain people looking like robots or being robots. That's the way I feel about Cruz. Really? It's hard for me to, like, get behind him. I mean, the closest thing I think I could ever support him, and I think it's because he's completely carried by Dustin Hoffman as Rain Man. Oh, gotcha. But I don't care about I mean, Cruz just doesn't seem genuine enough for me to actually feel anything in his films. Really? That's why he makes such good sense in Mission Impossible. Yeah. Because you don't have to feel anything. You just, stuff explodes and he runs a lot. And he, yeah. And he, I mean, he actually does the stuff. Which you can, I guess, admire that at least. I guess if you're not gonna, act. Well, if you're not gonna act and you're not, you have zero emotional range. I guess it's good that you're hanging on the side of a plane catching hypothermia. A glorified stuntman, a stuntman who acts well enough to be an actor. Well, I mean, like I would posit, like, what's the difference between a stuntman and an actor? You know, like in this day yeah. and age, like, what's your range of acting? Kirky, quirky, kind of funny with like a witticism. Yeah. I mean, like, show me the emotional range of most actors today in a Marvel movie. You'll find not a lot. They're essentially the same character over and over again. They look, they have like three emotions funny, surprised, the action face. So I guess four. And then the last one is the concerned, but there's no tears. Yeah. And that's about it. That's emotional range. Like, I think anybody can do that. To a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, there's some exceptions, but yeah, for, for the most part. Okay, and, like, my favorite, but I mean, like, I'm still biased even to a deeper core level because I think that my favorite actor is Jack Nicholson. Yeah. But he, after, for sure after Seven Easy Pieces, but de- but I think solidified in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Jack is Jack. He's never, he's not, Jack Nicholson isn't. He's not the character. He's, he's not the character. He's, the he's character just Jack Nicholson. Jack. Yeah, yeah, the character is Jack Nicholson. That's, yeah. I mean, because like, well, go watch '89 Batman. Go watch The Shining. Uh, go watch. You know, I mean, like the the you know, you've got like Chinatown, and even that, you're seeing like the semblances of Jack. Yeah. yeah. You know. He's one of those actors that got to the point where he's people just, like that. You just so, like him. I mean, he's just Jack and everything yeah. after. Definitely, seriously, like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, or he's just basically Jack. Yeah. And you just watch him, he's just Jack. But then, as he ages, that that sort of casting changes too, right? So, like, there's a difference between... It's still all Jack, but there's a difference between 89 Batman Jack and the Shining Jack, then uh, Anger Management Jack. Because mm-hmm. that's old Jack now. Mm-hmm. It's still Jack, but he's old Jack. He's a, it's, a, it's a little bit more 
not intense, just old man intense, I mm-hmm. guess. You know, like you're terrified of him in The Shining. Yeah, but, but you're, I would say I would suggest that you're terrified of him in A Few Good Men, but he's still oh, yeah. Jack Nicholson. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like A Few Good Men and like Anger Management, that's old Jack. Mm-hmm. That's getting to that older Jack where you're you're intimidated. But this is an old man telling mm-hmm. this, you know. Uh, Batman, it's like, well, this is some spry little guy that'll cut you. Right, right. You know? But he's not the Joker. Yeah. I mean, he's really not. If you, if you kind of understand the concept of the Joker, Jack Nicholson does not play the Joker. He's, he's he plays the, a gangster Jack Nicholson in clown makeup. The Jacker. Yeah. That's the Jacker with the, uh Yeah, uh, I'm with you. See, I have the same thing. I think you can easily tell in our conversations who was an early 90s person and mm-hmm. who's a late 90s person <laughs> because mine's like Vince Vaughn. Like, I like Vince Vaughn, but he's the same thing and everything. Now something he's gotten he's gotten more range as he's gotten older. He definitely is trying. But that's to the reverse off. of Jack Nicholson. Yeah, he's doing a reverse. Early Vince Vaughn, he's the same in everything. But I think if you have to, if you're not, if you don't have sort of, because Jack Nicholson's like someone said, like Jack Nicholson, how can you be cool for five generations of people? I mean, that's Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Vince Vaughn really isn't that guy. No, no. However, I think for career longevity, just yeah. by the way the just by the way social networking and all this stuff is kind of made up in the way we understand and see things. Yeah. I think you do have to sort of reinvent yourself. It's not like that's a new concept, but it does seem like it's a newer thing for like super celebrities. Yeah. But they kind of have to come back and reinvigorate their career with a, something else. I mean, you've seen it with other people when their career's really taking a dive, like Travolta. You know, I mean, he had to come back. He's still riding that Pulp Fiction wave. Yeah. Who said that? Someone said that. I swear, someone said that. John Travolta's still riding the Pulp Fiction wave. Like, even in his later years. I was about to say, say um, somebody who either reinvigorated their career the wrong way or still needs to do it. De Niro. De Niro, yeah. <laughs> but De Niro didn't, I mean, like, he... De Niro... What was his last good movie before The Irishman? Was it Meet the Fockers? Well, okay, well, granted, Define I, good. Yeah, okay, yeah. But the last movie that made money. I mean, like, I would probably, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, comedies do make money sometimes. Yeah, that's what If I'm they're saying. cheap. Like, Dirty Grandpa probably made money. Okay. I imagine. I mean, because, I mean, people like that kind of goof oh, comedy. Oh, I he was in that. Oh, okay. You know, he did that, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, his, his la- like, in terms of, like, his last good role yeah, yeah and i'll go ahead and say this i mean 95's casino and you gotta think that's probably the last i mean because he did what he did heat and the casino and like it's not good i can't think of anything else he's been in that i've actually appreciated so and, see, and he wasn't even that good in the irishman like pacino stole the show in that movie and so did uh pesci he was completely miscast yeah oh yeah yeah. Now I gotta know if De Niro was anything in that, anything after Casino. Clearly he was. That's a stupid suggestion. But to the It's just hard I mean, to remember to, everything he was in. Well, I mean like I mean everyone everyone can point to like the iconic like Raging Bull, Godfather yeah. Part Two, you know. Cape Fear. Cape Fear, sure. I mean, I, it's fine, I guess. I was thinking of Taxi Driver yeah, and uh, Casino King and Goodfellas, Comedy. King of Comedy. I mean, like, I like all those movies. Um, but, uh... 
Oh, well, he was in Joker. I forgot he was in Joker. Yeah, but... He, I mean, he was a side character. It, I'm talking about star role. I guess that's the way I thought yeah, of it. Yeah, like, yeah, where yeah, he's yeah. the... He's not supported too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was in that Joy movie, but he's a side character in that. He had to do something in the early 2000s. Yeah, I'm sure he did. I, I think he was in... He, nothing where he starred, though. That's the weird part. That, yeah. He was in that Analyze This movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Meet the Parents and Meet the Fockers. Yeah. So he, he really, after Ronan, and he was good in Ronan. Okay, so I loved Ronan. I haven't seen And that. Wag the Dog was really good, too. And I guess he was in Jackie Brown... But I didn't really consider consider him. So yeah, so he had a pr- pretty good couple of hits there. But I and mean, then, I really think like outside of Ronan, he and I'm sure someone would argue that Jackie Brown was really good. Those that's '97. Ronan's '98. So anything after 2000? anything 2000, I think he starts going to comedy. Yeah. So and then uh, yeah, I don't know. And then so now he's. I guess it's just hard to be an old-ish man. And be considered kind of like, you know, a blunt force. I realize we've literally talked about movies. You know what? We'll shift gears a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to say, we talked about going back to form. And... We're going back to form. <laughs> this is not that episode. We're, we're going to... We're going to... It's, you know, we, we plan on having topics that we're going to discuss, I promise, next episode. Where we actually have kind of a set list. Well, what we're going to do now is we're going to start to try to give you a guide into what we're going to do. So today, so we're going to talk about what we're smoking. We got a new tobacco in our bowls right now. Yeah, uh, pretty good stuff. And then we're going to, after we get through with kind of a a twinge review, I think we're going to discuss a little bit about a future episode. So the next episode, yeah, and what I plan to talk about, and then we'll talk about Dune. There you go. So, uh, what are we smoking? What are we smoking? We are smoking Kenbine Ventures. Verge Engine Overdrive, which <laughs> I'm kind of frustrated a little bit about this because I'd been planning to smoke KBV blends for a hot minute now. Um, there is a reason <laughs> why specifically I did pull the trigger on a couple of things, and we're going to get into that. Uh, but then Stuffing Things does the same. Uh, like He literally just did a review, like like just tried it, and his review's coming out Wednesday. And, I, and this is like the third time we've like accidentally hit the same blend that that guy does. Yep. Not that that guy's like got any. I mean, his his uh, YouTube channel is really good. Yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, it's always like, are you guys just coattailing this guy? It's like no. No. So the reasoning behind me smoking and Patrick smoking Virgin Engine Overdrive actually goes way, 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 way back uh, a couple years ago. In which I discussed, so this is kind of two years in the making, I discussed a blend called uh, LJ Peretti's Number 8 Slices. Now, the reason why we discussed that and bought it is because of a pipe maker and a YouTuber, Eldritch Pipes, Chris Kelly, uh, who recommended it. Now, I don't remember how I ran into Chris Kelly's page. I think... It was when I was sort of going through looking for what this LJ Peretti was. I ended up stumbling upon him. The guy has pipes that he makes, which I I don't think I knew that at the time, but he also has sensibilities in Lovecraft and stuff, so I I got interested. And, of course, he makes pipes. And then uh, 
I just kept kind of like number eight slices was so good that like I was like, well, this guy has really good taste. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was just that good, I and mean, it blew my mind. I really like number eight slices, very good. So I just started following. I was like, well, if he really likes it, chances are that I'm going to like it as well. And um, I kept following along. So uh, Chris actually teamed up with Ken, Byron, Ken Byron Ventures to produce, uh, I think they're producing a couple, Goblin Mixture, but they also uh, produced another one, his first kind of collaboration blend called The Patience of Dr. Silence. Now, you don't have to know that I think it's uh, Blackwood, the writer, created a character similar, like a psychic Dr. Silence, but he's like a Sherlock Holmes type, you know, investigative, but he's got psychic abilities or something like that. Sort of the occult detective, like the beginnings of that sort of genre, mm. subgenre. But Chris created a pipe called the Dr. Silence pipe. Now, I've loved that pipe ever since I first laid eyes on it. I thought it was the coolest. It's a uh, pretty much a straight billiard with a, with a stove top bowl and a plateau top. Yeah. It's a gorgeous pipe, and I've wanted it. And then he teamed up to create the Patience of Dr. Silence. So I went and read what this Patience of Dr. Silence was. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, it's a Virginia with some Kentucky, and it's got a Tonquin flavoring. Now, if anyone knows anything about Tonquin beans and me, they know that I love 1792 flake, which is heavy Tonquin. So I'm pretty much game on if they've got some sort of Tonquin flavoring on top of that. Mm-hmm. So I jumped at the opportunity to try it. I ordered a couple bags. Then along the way, because Patrick is a good friend, but what Patrick is in the like professional community, he's an enabler. <laughs> and he suggested maybe <laughs> that I should figure out, you know, if the Dr. Silas put like commissions and stuff. He'd suggested this for about two years now. Patrick's like, you know, you love him so much. Why don't you buy one of his pipes? Because he's an enabler. And uh, I got an anniversary coming up, so I did commission a Dr. Silence pipe from Kiss Kelly. And it should, it's it's being shipped today, which is Labor Day. So I should be getting it in a couple of weeks. So I want to do the review of the Patients of Dr. Silence with the Dr. Silence pipe. And I want to do a kind of a, I, I'm assuming it's going to end up being just a love letter to Chris Kelly. Um, but like, a, you know, a kind of review of the pipe as well. Hmm. Are we going to read it, too? Probably will we will read some sort of Lovecraftian or maybe even a story of Dr. Silence. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. We could do, because, I mean, Algernon Blackwood, is that his name, Algernon Blackwood? I think Algernon Blackwood wrote The Willows, which Lovecraft said was the greatest English horror story ever written. So might read The Willows, too, and okay. do, like, a little sidebar. And then, so it would be, like, some short story stuff instead of, like, kind of guiding away from Dune. Yeah, we can do the short stories... Along with the uh, the gay horror trilogy. That's right. Yep. So that's a little aside, but we uh, that's what the plan is and the reason we got into mm. Ken Byron Ventures. Along mm. the way, you know, Patrick's a huge vapor guy. I've heard pretty stellar things about Verge Engine Overdrive, which is an 80% Virginia, 20% Perique blend. Mm. In the methodology, I guess, or the method, or McClellan is what I hear. Like, very aged, very mm. soured, fruity delicious so i got a pack of it and that's what we're smoking right yeah. now it's it's very good it's got a little bit more of a i don't know if the right word is a kick or a punch but it's got a little bit of something going on with it i like it it's um it's definitely more soured 
Yeah. Which, if you're not really a fan of the vinegary kind of aged flavoring, it it can be sweet. You sort of have to get through that sort of pungent vinegary upfront fermented kind of flavoring. Mm. Um, yeah. I know some people don't like that. I like it. It's it's very uh, present in like number eight slices. Mm. And this reminds me of that. This also reminds me of. Uh, Peter Heinrich's Curly Block. This yep. reminds me of a few old McClellan blends. Now, the thing is, is, I don't like to reference McClellan anymore. They're gone. You're never going to try them unless you want to spend a ton of money. But from what I remember, it does kind of have that sort of similar McClellan taste. But that shouldn't be something everyone's just reaching for. There's still good tobacco out there. McClellan, in my opinion, didn't really blend good English blends everyone talks about like frog morton but it's like it's fine it's okay yeah. frog morton's fine they did you know they did really good virginias that's what most people remember them for but this you know this curly block number eight slices that's really really good stuff so you know i think this has that reminiscent of curly block for sure in my opinion and patrick's tried curly block yes i tried it um last week sometime and uh I really enjoyed it. It was it was nice. The you know, aside from all the problems with it, you know, of how you have to get it and how much you have to get at one time, mm-hmm. <laughs> the preparation of it, it's a good blend. Uh, I think I would prefer, um, which I've only smoked one of that and one of this, so I'm going on a one smoke of each. Right. I think I would prefer this. It's, it's definitely of, easier, but I've heard that this is not, he's not going to be able to procure the the tobacco for long. Really? And it might actually go, he might not be able to blend it after this year. Does that have to do with the old FDA stuff? No, just like, you know, I mean, 10 year Virginia, specific oh, crops, et cetera, you. et cetera. I mean, it might so, be just difficult to procure. So if either that or he, he, well, he may alter it, I guess, maybe? Mm hmm. Remember, he's a boutique blender, so he's not like doing mass production. So, like, yeah. once it's gone, it's gone. That's why the patience of Dr. Silence sold out. Really? It sold out twice now. I got the pre order, and then he put it back up. Pre order sold out. Everything was gone. Then mm. they pulled it back up, and I bought a couple more because I'd already tried it and liked it, which is the reason why I've actually given Patrick a pouch to smoke because I want him to get like the full effect of the patience of Dr. Silence. Yeah. It's very delicious, especially if you're if you're a fan of. Sure, for sure, 1792 Flake, you're going to like the Patience of Dr. Silence. It's lighter on the Tonquin, but that actually, it's actually sort of perfected. Hmm. I don't want to get into it too much because I'm going to talk about it, but like that Tonquin flavoring is there and it's delicious. Yeah, I'm excited to do it. Um, <clears throat> I should be wrapping up Reading Dune. Once I wrap up reading all of Dune, I'm going to start a new book and I'm going to load a load a my long uh, Dublin. Yeah. Load it down. Cause it's got, you know, it's a tall, it's a taller bowl. Not as tall as a Dr. Silence, but it's tall and it's got real thin walls. So right. It's perfect for a, yeah. For a, and it, I think that, you know, I, I, I don't think anything burns cool with me. It does at the beginning. If I really try hard, I can keep my pipes burning relatively cool. How hot is that to you? It's not. I was over here like freaking out. I was like, hey, come on, I got it hot. I mean, fill mine. I mean, gee, well, okay. It's a little warmer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I have a tendency to be a hot smoker. I have to really, hey, this is actually light in comparison to what I usually am because if I'm smoking in silence, I like to puff. If I'm talking, then I don't usually have the Take pipe in my mouth. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah so I'm, I'm looking forward to the Doctor of Silence. But, but now, Verge, Verge Engine Overdrive. Yeah, I, I like it. Um, going back to a little bit, you were talking about how you started to um, appreciate Chris Kelly's uh, opinions and stuff. I'm not. I'm not holding this against him because I don't. If people's opinions are their opinions. Yeah, but, everybody, watch out! Patrick might just get slapped across the face. <laughs> he did. He did a review of of Haunted Bookshop, and that was not a good. <laughs> I mean, it was a good review, but he did not. Haunted like it. Bookshop is a hard. Okay, so Haunted Bookshop is. I like it. It's fun. Okay, so it's definitely a serviceable Burley base, but there is so much better Burley out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, it's like, if okay, so if you've smoked, what is it, Solani H. Burley. Yeah. All right, if you've smoked that, and that's your first, that's your introduction to Burley. Yeah. You know, which is a kind of a high watermark. But if that's your introduction to Burley, and then you go to Haunted Bookshop, I can see how you would not like it. Or if you have a, like, a, something that's odier, like a Stonehaven. Yeah. All right, which is a very Odi Burley, Virginia blend, right? bread oat you know it's it's semi-sweet but you know and then you go to haunted bookshop you're not gonna like haunted bookshop if you've had other yeah. burleys yeah so like i don't hold it against him it's just i was like the, it, was, it was it was funny i bring it up because it's funny to mm-hmm. me I, again I, I i don't think any less of somebody because they don't like a blend i don't i don't care but it's just funny because i was like oh he did haunted bookshop let me see what he said and then i before before i even heard his first like intro i looked down and it said one word nope and i go oh, oh crap <laughs> this is not what i want to be involved with <laughs> but i haven't had haunted i uh it it and a couple other blends dried out on me and i've i've got them back to life but i just haven't smoked them yet well the greatest burly blend period bar none isn't even a blend okay this is going to be controversial okay the <laughs> Uh, age burley is like definitely the best i think in terms of what i think an american pipe smoker british pipe smoker probably likes but pure samoir or samoy yeah uh that belgian burley is absolutely the greatest to and that's a weird thing too about that is like you want to talk about ghosting smoke that in a pipe you'll never get that flavor out like i ruined a pipe with pure samoir but I love it. That is the closest you can get as a pipe smoker to smoking a cigar, period. Really? Yes. It comes dry. And you don't moisten it. It just, you smoke it dry. And it's good? Oh, it's, I never had it. It's so crazy good. It's hard to, it's, I, I can't seem to get it right now, but like, there's three blends. There's Pearson Wah, then there's Le Robin Petit, and then there's some other, like, kind of like upper, but the Pearson Wah is really good. Comes in a brick, you know. Oh wow! It's really good. It's not compressed. It'll break up. Speaking of cigar, and really not speaking of cigars, there was a pipe that he that um, Elder's Pipes was smoking yeah. the other day. Mm-hmm. It don't it don't it, it looked like a cigar, but it had the hole on the top. You see that one? Yeah. So it was a calabash. I love that pipe. It, it just looked like a cylinder with a hole on top. I think it's a cylinder calabash. I think he wants. He's going to start making a couple of them. If he does, I'm going to get it. I don't know why. Like, if you look at me, if you look at me and Zach, which y'all haven't, 
<laughs> but if you did, I think I would be the more classy pipe guy. Look, maybe I don't know. Maybe yeah. I, I mean, like I, I mean, know. it doesn't. Maybe I'm off base here, but either way, I guess if you know me, you would think both. I guess maybe both of us are more classy, but some of those weird pipes I like too. Well, I mean, I don't think the Dr. Thomas pipe is necessarily the most classical shape in the world, I guess. And I've got some peculiar things at the house, but, like, I think that the Italian neoclassical designs are really what I've always gravitated towards. And then the classical shapes of, like, the British. I've never liked the German shapes. What are they? <sighs> More, like, freehand. Like, Japanese-German, like, they're, mm. like, tortoises, the tomatoes. Like, no, I just don't... Some of them look like they're for weed. <laughs> yeah, like... The whales, the snails, the... I just don't... I like so A lot of them have a tendency to look like sort of the... Like the feet on a furniture, like on a couch. Like an ornate foot on a couch. Like, mm -hmm. You know, it comes out into like a griffin claw. Like that's what those pipes remind me of. It's like, I don't want furniture. You know, they have these really ornate undercuts and stuff. You know, I don't care. I, I like... I like the shape of this guy. I just wish he was bigger. Yeah. Well, that's just a Ben Billiard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I love I love a billiard, and I well, one of yours, that one you're smoking right now, the Hawkbill. Mm-hmm. Hawkbills and authors, I think, are probably my favorite. If I was going to get down to, which a Hawkbill and an author are sort of similar, just a Hawkbill's a little bit more bent. Well, yeah, just a little bit. But an author's got some weird thing going on with it. But I basically only smoke vapors out of this Hawkbill. That's why it came out today. Really, it's it's one of my favorites of your pipe your pipes um i don't know that but yeah but eldridge all his other like you know his his odd off stuff they're interesting uh you know well that's uh, what i was gonna say like to say that that i don't like some of these wild shapes is kind of hilarious because like then i look at eldridge pipe stuff and it's like all oh, that's it's almost like subtly different yeah i'm not a fan of but if you can push it all the way to the extreme then I'll suddenly I'm like, oh, I like that. Yeah. I am. It's not... almost like, it's almost kind of silly because it's kind of like, yeah, I don't think I want to wear black clothes. But if you put me in bondage pants and like a leather mask, I'd be all for that. Like, like that super, you know, it's like, I don't want to do like sort of semi-goth. It's either I'm full goth or I'm nothing. That's funny. Or whatever. Yeah. Well, that makes, <laughs> I did, I said something like that the other day and I can't remember what the topic was, but I was like. Either go full or don't go at all. I there is a weird it. thing about me in absolution, like where it's like, uh, you know, it's you want to be the most thing that you could be, yeah, or not. The uh, and again, this is not a critique on him. It's just my personal opinion. The the pipes with the spikes, I'm not a fan of, but 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 everything else, I I, I generally like. I like that he makes them. I think I'm the thing is, there. is like you don't like anything. Because I feel the same way to a certain extent. I don't like any addition outside of traditional material. Yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want to the material. Yeah. But yeah. I don't want any other... Like, in other words, if the spikes were somehow a part of the briar, I think I could... That would be more accepting. Yeah. Like, like I love the plateau top. I love that. But that's part of the briar. Like, that's just... Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way it's done. And I love... There's... I don't know what you call it. There's a type of... Uh, finish it's not smooth but it's not sandblast but you it's smooth but you can see the uh the grains more the grains are deeper you you know what kind of finish that is 
You mean like a sandblast finish? No, it's not like a sandblast because it's it's still smooth. You can just feel, you can see the grain, the grain, the, the like. I don't know. I have to find a picture and show it to you. But I wouldn't call it sandblast. Can you feel the grain? Yeah, you can feel the grain. Well, then that's a sandblast. Okay, it's just a it's just type. a light sandblast instead Maybe of a heavy so. or. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at it from this, it looks like this minus the polish. Like, take polish off this. It looks like that, but you can feel grain. Well, that might just be an unfinished pipe. Well, it was, it was, it was already stained black. I mean, it, it was somebody's that they posted on. Like, somebody bought it while we were smoking it. Maybe it is an unfinished pipe. Either way, I liked it a lot. I like that finish. What I'm saying is, unfin- when I say unfinished, if it's not sandblasted so it doesn't have specifics, like, what, striations or something yeah, where you can actually yeah. feel the grain, right? Yeah. So that means it's smooth, but, like, it doesn't have a wax coating to shine it. Uh, then that's unfinished. Maybe I like unfinished pipes, then. That, that, if that's, I don't know if you can feel the grain on that, though. That, but, like, I know that that wax coating is going to smooth everything out. See, and I didn't actually feel that. I saw this on Instagram. It was, mm-hmm. But it, it looked like you could, you could, you could definitely feel that grain. Well, it's probably just an unfinished pipe mm-hmm. then. Okay. Well, I like I like that look. That's a nice look. I yeah. I guess I guess yeah. I guess that's the finish. Huh? You got smooth, sandblasted, rusticated. Rusticated is like a type of sandblast, isn't it? Rustication is is when you take essentially a roughing agent, be it uh, the way like uh, nails in a in a hand pommel thing, right or or a, a Dremel with a ball tool, and you just basically just scrape up the pipe, and it has these little bumps and stuff all in it. It's not, if it's sandblasted, then like, you know, it's going to just basically take off the soft grain so you can actually feel it. If it's smooth finish, then it's just sanded down until, you know, 600 grit and then finally polished or whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, what do we call it? <laughs> just rusticated. rusticated is when uh you take a like something and actually rough up the pipe it, it, it doesn't form to the grain it's just it's just a way to rusticate or it, kind of age it to make it look like or you know it's don't you have a rusticated do you have a costello e, no Stuff yes i do have a i have a stello i can show you it it's inside and it's rusticated mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah yeah it's um yeah. I'll go grab it. Hang on one second. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And we're back. We're back, and uh, we realize that we have been chasing rabbits, mm-hmm. like we usually do. Uh I think the last thing we were speaking about was uh, rusticated and sandblast. We have looked at two examples. I am now educated, and I know <laughs> what they are. Um, so I believe it is now time to segue into what you've all come for. Uh, and it's not pipe tobacco or pipes. It's Dune. <laughs> it's Dune, clearly. Uh, one last thing, though. This is a good blend. I think you guys should try Virgin mm-hmm. and Overdrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it's very fruity, fermented, sweet, but it's got kind of a bready undertone. Not as much spice, but I think that's because the Perique is aged. That is a loud cicada. Welcome to the South, folks. Yeah, I guess. Get a little taste of what it's like to smoke on a porch in the South. 
It's very good. I do recommend it. I do think it reminds me a lot of Curly Block. Maybe a less... Curly Block's a little bit more subdued, I think. But, like, this is very good. This is worth your time. So, Virgin Gen Overdrive by Ken Byron Ventures. Check it out. Worth your time and your money. So, now what you're all here and waited for. Here we go. Book one. Book one of book one. Of book one. Dune. By Frank Herbert. Also Dune. Also, yeah, also Dune. So, Dune... Book one, Dune. Yeah, it's sort of like, I don't know if you... If book you, one of the series called Dune. Book one of Dune. 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 It's, I don't know if y'all have watched the YouTube channel Cinemassacre, but the guy, it's a good it's a good channel. If y'all haven't watched that, you need to check it out. He does a good interview with Joe Bob Briggs, but he, uh, his critique of the 2018 Halloween was, it's Halloween, the sequel to Halloween. Which is the argument I kept making the entire time. It's like, why? But whatever. So yeah, so we're in... Can't get rid of that brand name, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to do it... Okay, never mind. Table. Uh, Dune, book one of Dune. Um, so I had never read this before this reading. I had not... Well, I have seen the movie in pieces. I don't think... I haven't sat down and The 84 Lynch movie? Yes. Uh, yeah, the Lynch movie. Um, it's got prop. The, the movie has problems inherently in the beginning of a movie. I don't know. It must have been hard to make that kind of movie in the 80s. But... Hey, it kind of hits that exposition overdrive. Yeah. You're not a Lord of the Rings person. Did you even... Did you see the movies? I did see the, the movies. It's been so long that someone actually said something the other day about it. And yeah. I go, what's that? And they go, Lord of the Rings. And I was like, The Hobbit? Like, because I literally had no idea. I thought it was like from the newer movies. Oh, yeah. And they were like, No, it's from Lord of the Rings. Like, when they, and I go, I I don't care. Well, the opening to The Fellowship of the Ring has this. And it's always been the reason why I don't go back and watch that one a lot. There's like, but it, at least that's done relatively well for a 2000 movie or a 1999 movie. 2001, whatever. It came out in that time period. It sort of has this exposition intro to sort of explain what's happening <laughs> but the 1984 day it's just like whoa and i was like this is it's a like a, it's forever long yeah i think it's 20 minutes yeah 15 or 20 minutes and then whatever now the, the funny thing is this is funny because that is a huge critique of that because it's it's technically bad storytelling yeah um and I say technically bad because I watched it when I was a kid. Loved that part. I thought it was so awesome. That, it, it like, gave you a lot of information. And I just was like, oh, this world's so vast. And yeah, like, yeah. Sometimes it's confusing when people say like exposition is bad. And I'm like, I'm really invested in this exposition, though. I don't know why you're giving it such a hard time. I was going to say, Star Wars gets a pass like by the, by the media at hand. Right. Because they do exposition, too. It's just called a scroll. It's mm-hmm. that scroll at the beginning. It, it it serves the same purpose, but but nobody's narrating it. And I guess that's why people don't consider it. It's just three paragraphs that are pretty short, succinct. They choose their words wisely, and it gives you enough to be like, all right, we're going right in, right. and nobody's going to narrate this. And, I, I mean, that's a, it's a neat way to do it. I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't care. It's fine. I mean, like, exposition doesn't, I don't know, it's weird. Like, if you could kind of animate exposition with some narration, I thought it was cool. You just don't want exposition once you're into the meat, right? Like, you don't want mm-hmm. you don't want Star Wars Rogue One where they're they're gathered around talking and then, like, okay, let's just talk. 
let's let me let me do exposition explain what we're doing and it not feel like it's a conversation yeah i mean they do that a lot in movies now yeah yeah where it's like you know they have to explain the whole plot to a certain extent and they're getting a little bit clever more clever about it uh i I don't you haven't seen it yet but i i saw tenet recently Mm -hmm. and there's a part where they combine i guess the necessity of carrying a dialogue and the way the camera moves that in my head, I was like, this is just exposition, but at least it looks okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it only takes, it's like a five minute, maybe six minute scene, but I was like, this is just exposition, but they're making it pretty. So it is weird. Sometimes you kind of, you kind of curious, like where do these rules come from? Exposition, exposition rules yeah. or like anti-expository and all this stuff, you know, because it's like, it doesn't pester me all that much, you know, as long as it's interesting. But I guess it does inherently take away from this character needs this thing and then their adventure or adventure goes, you know, yeah. I mean, like, you know, to a certain extent that the Latos have to go to Dune to take it over. So we're kind of getting to Dune to kind of push this. And you know, you know, I said the Latos, I mean Atreides, uh, have to go and inherit Dune and they control it and the spice. Even though they know it's a trap, but it's commanded by the Emperor. Mm -hmm. So they have to do it. And they talk about how the fact that knowing a trap's there is okay. You just don't need to, you, you don't need to let them know you know. Right. And that's the, that's the goal of, you know, the Duke. You know, that's what he's going yeah. to do. And I mean, I mean, so, okay, again, coming in this from never seeing it, never reading it before, and only having a limited knowledge of what's happening. So basically, the Emperor, this planet Dune has the spice. that It's like the oil of, of this book. Like, it's what everybody wants. It's what everyone needs. Um... And this one, because there's a, a group of royal families, the Lancerad, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. They, uh, you know. I mean, I don't know how to pronounce that word, but that's what it is. It's it's yeah. it's it's a, it's a collective of Just aristocracy. Royal. Yeah, isn't it funny how it's a it's a futuristic tale, but it's there's still still feudalism at its core yeah well you know i guess you just can't get away from the way people are power structured yeah can like compare that to like star trek right there i don't think there's any hint of it's like a complete free society Mm -hmm. like it's like well it's not free it's it's community first society right is what star trek is everything is for the good of mankind or the well not mankind good for all of life right and then you get this and it's like no yeah we're still we're still the way we were it definitely taps into that like ancient myth of magic blood is what I always call it. You know, uh, the God of these people set up the King and his yeah. bloodline will forever be the Holy bloodline. Yeah. But yeah, so, it, so this one family has been running Dune, uh, Arrakis is the, I guess, official name of it, of the planet. Um, for quite a while. Yeah. The Harkonnens. Is it Harkonnens or Harkonnen? I always said Harkonnens. Harkonnen. Yeah. I hear Harkonnen and Harkonnen. In various places, I, guess I have to be careful matter. because, like, sometimes when I hear like Harkonnen, I think of like it's like a British pronunciation, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's the correct one. And I'm like, an American wrote this though, so it's Harkonnen. Yeah, yeah. It okay. sounds weird that I would, you know, it's like when someone says 
Latakia, and then someone else says Latakia. And I'm like, Latakia? Latakia. Oh my God. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, is it Latakia? Because I seem to think that that's a Turkish Middle Eastern pronunciation. So technically it's correct. Latakia? But it's Latakia to me. I will never say Latakia. 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 It's weird. It's even hard to say even when I know I'm going to purposely say Latakia. And that's sort of sick. Calls back to our last episode about even if it is the right way, if you can't say it, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> so the Harkonnens uh, have been ruling, or you know, have been control of the spice, and I'm guessing they're the ones who control how the spice gets to the other houses. Mm-hmm. So even though a trade to a certain extent, okay, when you control it, you control other aspects to it. Yeah. Be it smuggling, you have like kind of a hand in smuggling. Because there are smugglers right? on the planet, yeah. Well, and, how does the Atreides get it? How did they get their spice from? Well, everyone—it's—it would be all within a supply chain. Okay. Its own specific so supply chain. Even though the Harkonnens are a political, well, they're just a rival of House Atreides. They—they they don't control how House Atreides gets there. They just send it up the, up the ladder. Right. Now, and Hark- the Harkonnens are not a part of like any royal family. Oh, I thought they were part of the Lancerot. I think they are, but I don't think that they got it from any type of bloodline. I think that they basically worked themselves into it. So they're the oh. It okay. actually mentions it like that they that they technically, or either that. Golly, I should have taken notes. This is the problem with like kind of doing free verse and trying to speed up. But the Harkonnens, I know they got sort of uh, put on blast by the Atreides. That's the reason they have that uh, the feud because of. They were cowardly in a battle. Oh, okay. And then, you know, Leto's grandfather, the one that was killed by the bull. Yeah, yeah. And I think basically said, you know, you guys are cowards and you should have fought and you didn't. So to go, to go back and sort of try to get an understanding of the difference between these houses, they mention that the Harkonnens are, I don't know if they mention it or if it's just teased, but... There's something visually different about the Harkonnens than the Atreides. Now, I know in the movie they seem very pale and they have red hair. I don't remember there being a description of their of how they actually look specifically in the book. But I mean, is there something supposed to be physically different about them? Like, are they a different race? Or are they just a different house? I think it's just a different house. I don't think that. I mean, race is inhuman, not races in like. I mean, I guess you would say, you know, because I would assume that the Atreides, to a certain extent, are Spanish. Okay, okay. I mean, think of it, they got the bullfighting, the matador, um, I think Leto's described with olive skin, and I feel like the Harkonnen are, like, German-Irish. Oh, that's what I meant when I meant different race, like a different race of the same species. Right. Like, they're they're all... In a way, I was thinking, because when you talk about sci-fi, you think in terms of race, in terms of, like, oh, that's the race splurk blurk. See, they're is, reptiles. Isn't that weird how race and species become almost synonyms of each other when when you get to a certain point? Right. Like, of course, on Earth, we race and species are two different things. Right. But when you talk fiction, especially science fiction or fantasy, right. the genre fiction, it, it gets muddied there. But to be honest, they're, they're all human. I do think that they have different ethnicities, I guess is the best way to describe that. Okay, so... um. I had to ask that for other points, other revelations towards the end of this review, but yeah, so that's, yeah, that's basically it. They, um, 
uh, that's sort of the premise of where all this started is Harkonnens are running it. Uh, and Arrakis is like, there's like hardly any water. Right. Like there's no type of moisture weather system kind of thing going on. Yeah, they don't have weather satellites, which is probably by design. Yeah. Um, they don't have really, it's very, it's a very brutal planet and it's, it's, it remains brutal because of the spice. And there, there's a native, the Fremen, mm-hmm. they, they, now they don't, they don't interact with the Harkonnens. They hate the Harkonnens. They hate like them. they hate them with a passion. But so the Har- the Fremen, there are no Fremen that are in service. I think the Harkonnens are like pretty brutal to the Fremen. But do they do they do they um, use the Fremen as a type of tenant worker? Or sort of. If you remember the cities where the locals are at, you know they would do that really nasty thing when they had dinner where they would uh, wash their hands and just throw the towels yeah. down on the ground so they would try to, like, soap up the water to sell it. Yeah, yeah. And, um... Leto did yeah, not like that. Leto did not like that at all. Oh, and, well, oh, uh, shout out to old shout-out Mapes. Uh, she's a she's a Fremen, and she works for them, don't she? Yeah. Yeah. Shout-out Mapes. She's weird-looking in the movie, in the 84 movie. Mm-hmm. Super weird-looking for But, but... Okay, so you get you set that all up, and and another little tidbit, of sort of backstory is uh, that has to do with the what? <laughs> We're all over the place. It's really funny. It's a lot to discuss. You really should go kind of face by face because you start on Kaladin, yeah, and the setup for prophecy. Uh, yeah, we had, we don't even talk about the prophecy. Yeah, no, we? not at all. <laughs> which is literally the first <laughs> chapter of the book, first two chapters. So <clears throat> Paul's mother is the Lady Jessica. She is a member of the Benny Gesserit, which me reading it after reading a little bit of Will of Time feels very uh, Aes Sedai-ish. They, a whole group of women who sort of control. And the, the cool thing about them is they can see the, I guess when you become a reverend mother, you can see the past of all women. And they're, all, they're always in search of the Kwisak Haderach, mm-hmm. which from the way I heard is since women have two X chromosomes, and men have an X and a Y. The Quizex Hatterach is a male who will be able to see the past of female and male. And that's what they want. They want someone who can be able to see all of the past, not just one and, side and, of and it. Which in turn sort of makes them prescient yeah. somewhat. They, yeah. they have clairvoyant yeah. powers. Yeah. And so <clears throat> on Kaladin, which is very different than Arrakis, it's, you know, there's water. I mean, there's oceans and storms and all kinds of mess. Um, that's where the Atreides have lived, I guess, for all their time. Mm-hmm. That's their planet. Who's going to take, who, wait, who's going to rule Kaladin when the Atreides go to Harkon? Or I don't Arrakis? know. I don't They never remember. talk about that. Never. He's yeah. going to leave the planet just for whoever. Unless, like, well, the thing is, is, like, just because they run Dune doesn't mean that they don't still control Kaladin. But, but, but they packed up everybody, though, didn't they? Like everybody packed up, all their people, all their yeah. specific people, because they probably could be more locals there. But I mean, you could still, I guess, you could still control other planets. I mean, the Harkonnen have the Harkonnen, uh, Giddy Prime, right? Yeah, I but like that. they didn't. But they also controlled <clears throat> Dune or Arrakis. Yeah, <clears throat> you figure they would have talked more about. I guess Frank Herbert didn't care about that. About who they would leave in charge of. 
Well, I you imagine, I mean, like, I imagine there's some Atreides cousin that controls him. <clears throat> well, you, you go on. Tell me what you know. So, to kind of set it up, um, it's it's set, it's it's very interesting how they set it up because, man, you talk about, like, no exposition whatsoever. Um, which is maybe why, you know, the book, you, you the sort movie. of, the, the, the book. Well, I mean, the, the book doesn't have any, so maybe that's why the movie did it. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, because, I mean, like, you know, the book is very long and you can just sort of build on concepts, which is fascinating to me because I sort of want you to know everything when I'm writing, which is the wrong way to approach anything. Yeah. I'm literally trying to figure out a way to get you into a situation of a, a, a novel I was working on where the crux of it needs to be up front. But it's literally just, you can't put that much exposition up front like that. You, you sort of have to, you, you sort of have to build into it. So Frank Herbert does a really good job of building in. He throws you right in the middle of the Reverend Mother visiting Jessica and testing uh, Paul Atreides with the uh, Gamjabar. Is that right? I believe so. The box, and the box, yeah, which is a nerve, nerve, uh, nerve testing, yeah. and uh, to make him to see if he can withstand having his hand in the box, to test whether or not he's human. Yeah, human or animal, because in this world, in the in the Dune world, there was a time at which there were robots, AI, and there's a war happened, and so now it's illegal to make any kind of machine that is in the like likeness of man. So they have these, what are they called? What's what's Piter called? Mentat. Mentat. Who are just basically human computers, humans who have been conditioned, I guess I think logically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it it sort of ties into that. They're testing, or that's how I inferred that. Yeah. His, his that. Well, they, I mean, like you know, it's the different distinct difference between human and animal, and an animal would would remove his hand or. Even know. knowing that it. Right. Because that's sort of the thing you have to. Because her test is in some is assuming that a human would stick around to kill yeah. the person who trapped him. Well, and she she threatens him too at the same time, right? So she he puts his hand in the box, and then she she like says if he removes it, she'll stab him in the neck with yeah. a gum jabar. So an animal wouldn't register the the anticipation or the presence of potential pain with pain at that moment mm-hmm. whereas a human's like i'm gonna feel a little bit pain here and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, endure this because i know if i retreat i will die mm-hmm. so i'd rather go through a little bit of pain and live than not have the pain and then die right so it makes sense but if you kept that from them and said you know just cause that's what i was thinking i don't know why i thought this but my head was like well if i didn't know that someone was going to kill me I pull my hand out of the thing, like just in- instinctively. Yeah, I mean, like, but no animal or human alike would be like uh, put their hand on a hot eye and be like, "Well, I got to prove I'm human." So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's only with the threat. Of it's only death with the threat of death that that a human would act that way. Whereas an animal doesn't even understand that. Right. Well, I guess their viewpoint is an animal would just try to jerk away. Yeah, it, instincts would take over. It, instinct. So, yeah, instinctually. You would you would dive away from the immediacy of the pain as a part of the long con, which is I'll lose my hand, but I get to live. Yeah, 
Exactly. I guess. And so that's where we open up. To, you know, she's she's testing, and yeah. then the test is to prove that he could potentially be uh, what's the, the Quezac Cataract. Yeah, Quezac Cataract. But now, interesting enough, it's more a little backstory. His his mother is a lady, Jessica, and she was instructed to only have daughters. But she decided to have a son because she loved Lado so much. But what I've never understood is, can she control what the gender of the child is going to be? Clearly she can. Or was it more, where I thought it was leaning was, <laughs> she she has the presence to know what the gender is. And, and then she can abort it? Or yeah, not. that's yeah. what I was thinking. I was thinking that either one, she can control the gender, or she can sense what the gender is once it's already there, and then she can make the decision if she's going to keep it or not. It does seem to me that the Bene Gesserit do, do have like sort of a complete biological control. Okay. They do infer that a little bit, not, I mean, not a whole bunch, but they, their breathing techniques, all their pacing, yeah. and yeah. really, it seems like they have a full grasp of their biology. Mm, okay. But yeah, so she was not because the whole idea was that the, the Bene Gesserit wants. Um, the Atreides house and the Harkonnen house to, mm-hmm. to combine and, I guess, put an end to their squabble. Right. And that's the idea, is that an intermingling of the two bloodlines could put a permanent fix of peace between the two houses. And I think from the perspective of the book, since Jessica had a son about the same age as... The nephew. The nephew of Baron... That's just That creates more war, more rivalry. It does create an extensive amount of tension. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's... Is that sort of all that happens sort of right there? The At beginning, the beginning, I, yeah. I, so it's, it's essentially they're moving from Kaladin. You get kind of an understanding of, like, uh, some of the other side characters, like Gurney. Uh, you yeah. hear a little bit of Duncan Idaho, Thwat, uh, the Mentat for the Atreides. Yeah. Th- uh, th- you don't really... You don't really get a lot from uh, Leto Atreides? No, nah, not at the beginning. Uh, I think it's like the next chapter that they talk... Because it sort of... It goes from Kaladin to then Giddy Prime. Like, talking about chapters. Right. Chapter one's on Kaladin. Two is with the Harkonnens. And then you come back to... And then you get a little bit more going on with the Duke. Right. And then, you know, Giddy Prime and the Harkonnen. Basically, all it is is just letting them know that, like... There is sabotage waiting. Yeah. But it seems that every character knows there's sabotage. They just don't know where it's coming from unless they're Harkonnen. Well, yeah, because why would a why would a family give up? Well, okay, well, see, it's the Emperor who made the decision. But why would the Emperor all of a sudden decide that he wants a different uh, royal house running, or different house, a family, running the spice production? Like, what... what why? And it was um, the way it worked was there were there's so, so it's kind of got like a three form 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 of government. There's the imperial, the houses, the minor houses, I think, and then they have uh, the guild, the space the guild. guild. Yeah, they're like the people who control all travel and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's three forms of power, you know, and. Uh, I think that the imperial they were making a, the imperial was making a move because there's the Choam, C H O A M. Now where are they at in all this? Because uh, I've heard a comparison of them is like if Apple, Amazon, Google, they all came into one. That's Choam. They just control everything. 
perhaps uh honestly i have no idea it seems like i'm so brought i'm so torn into the kind of political intrigue i don't really think about like kind of the other players but uh i think that it controls like the economics of the galaxy okay so i'm not sure how that plays out but it would be like uh so really the emperor and the royal houses are sort of the same they're sort of the i don't know what you call it they have the aristocratic yeah, yeah they're there and then the chom and the spacing guild sort of have the kind of economic yeah like yeah. uh corner everyone see this is the part that's so crazy everyone is a hundred percent I would imagine under the control of the Spacing Guild. Yeah. Can't get anywhere without the Spacing Guild. Yeah. And Seems like they're the most powerful in my opinion. Yeah. And, so, and, well, and let me go back to this. We know why the why the Emperor wants to do this. Because the Emperor, um, because the Duke is getting real popular amongst the rest, the rest of the Lancerat. Right. And he fears that he could replace him, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's the whole reason. But what's the political reason to the to to the House of Trades as to why this is happening? Like what what example? What's the reason they they've been given? And I, I, they never talk about what that reason is. They know that they, that they there's a trap from the Harkonnen. They just don't realize that it's as deep imperially. Yeah. I guess. I think when I, I could be getting the book and the the eighty four movie confused, but when when the um, when they when you see when you meet Paul for the first time in the movie, and they they Gurney Gurney Halleck and um Thufer Howitt and uh, Wellington Yui, they start talking about um, you know, this move and about how there is a trap and Paul's the one who says I suspect the Emperor is involved or the yeah. I think uh, yeah I think that is in the book okay so. So they suspect it. They don't know. They know there's a trap. They know the Harkonnens are involved, but they suspect. The well, they definitely know once the uh, those sort of fanatic warriors show up that are dressed as Harkonnens. I was yeah, I was going to talk about the, the um, Sadakar, mm-hmm. and that's another part of the knowing it's a trap, but but playing along with it anyway because they because as as much as Duke Leto. He's very much a humanitarian in a way. Like mm-hmm. he, he treats people the way they ought to be treated. He still realizes there could be a use for the Fremen because the Fremen could be, because they live on such a harsh planet, they could be a new form of Well, his, I guess his, his idea of leadership is to get everyone unified. Yeah. Because he, he, you know, if you, I guess it's like the whole a house divided cannot stand kind of thing. Yeah. It's the same concept except on a planet wide. On a planet wide basis, yeah. Which he has a... Uh, Which what, is why he tried to really sort of... I mean, he sent Duncan Idaho in there to help with yeah. relations with the Fremen and kind of getting everyone sort of on the same page. Yeah. And he has a... What is it? He has a propaganda man, like a PR person. Yeah. That he's using to help push that along mm-hmm. and go to the local cities. But the difference is, which this is sort of getting into further part of the book, but it's not necessarily a spoiler. There are Fremen... Who don't live in the cities. Right. But the Fremen, you know, you said they never interact with the Harkonnen. I mean, they didn't work with them. They hated the Harkonnen. There was even, a, like, a whole thing about, like, the extremities of the Fremen's relations with the Harkonnen, where it's like if a Harkonnen came into a room and sat in a chair, the Fremen would burn that chair. Really? Yeah. Speaking of, like, uh, like different um, things the, the Fremen do, 
Is it uh, Lee at Kynes when he first meets uh, with the Duke? He spits on the table. Was it Kynes? I thought it was Kynes. It no, prob- it's Stilgar. It's Stilgar. Because Duncan brings Stilgar in. Right. Because Kynes isn't a... He's not Kynes a Fremen. isn't Fremen. But he's gone native. As, right, as, as, yeah. You know, his, his eyes are blue and everything like that already. Because isn't that the case? The Spice, you... Once you start taking the Spice, like, if you stop, you're dead. Like, you sort of... It, it becomes an addiction, but you can't stop it. Right. You, you know, you're... It becomes so much a part of you. If you are addicted to spice, I don't think you can leave the planet. Yeah, but either way, what I'm saying is, Stilgar spits on the table, right? And and they think it's a sign of disrespect, but he's like, no, I'm. It's sort of like bloodletting. It's the same thing. Like I'm right. giving some of my the water of my life. Yeah, because they because they cherish water so much. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on. Like I said, it it does. It's so hard for me not to compare it to Will of Time. Granted, Will of Time came later, and I'm sure Will of Time took a lot of stuff. Right. But it's so interesting. There's so many parallels that that Robert Jordan, I don't know if he intentionally did this or if it was... It's, it's hard so cool. to avoid Lord of the Rings. It's hard to avoid Doom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, don't they always talk about they're, Star Wars? And they're iconic. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you can watch Star Wars and be like, oh, this is just... Lucas taken from Dune. I mean, look at just Tatooine. It's Dune. Yeah. Isn't that the funniest thing that... So, I would love to go back and, like, talk to my grandparents or my... Like, my, like, my father was born in, like, 49. So, like, I would have loved to talk to him in, like, 55 and been like, what is your idea of space? You know, like, what... If you were going to watch a movie or watch some kind of documentary... Somehow they got a camera into space. What do you think it would be like on other planets? Mm-hmm. But then go back, go to somebody who's born like my, my siblings. Some of my siblings were born in the seventies or eighties, right? Mm-hmm. Go to the eighties. What's their idea of space? Well, you got Star Wars, you got Dune. Everything's in the desert. So like, I just to me that just seems weird. Like I don't think desert would have been your first idea of space if you if we didn't have pop culture influencing us mm-hmm. or the culture at, at large media. But it all becomes from Frank Herbert was an ecologist or whatever. He he did all that. He took his years of time to research what Arrakis was going to be, made it that way, and then Star Wars took from it. All right. I mean, that's it. Does seem like it's definitely kind of a cop out when you look at Star Wars because it is just a man. It's a desert planet. There really isn't anything significant about Tatooine. As a matter of fact, they don't even seem to struggle with being on a desert planet. All it is is a slave planet. Or there's always slaves there. Yeah, but I mean, like, there's no... You don't hear people really getting, like, upset about water shortages or anything no. like that. And they don't have any kind of, like, source. Like, like Dune has, sp- has spice. Like, that's the only thing that makes Arrakis... Right. right. Tatooine's just, like, this crappy gangster planet. <laughs> yeah. It's... And, I, I mean, from what I remember, I think it is on the outer edges of the... Not the known galaxy, but the Galactic Empire. It's out there on the edges. But the huts still don't control it to an extent. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. I don't. I know. mean, like, I mean, they do, but they don't. I mean, like, you got to look at it this way. It's like if the huts controlled it, which they, I guess, technically they do. The huts control Tatooine. The huts ain't anything with the Empire. If the Empire showed up, and just said, "I'm just going to take this down." Like the huts would yeah. lose. Period. The, the huts are in. They have. They have enough power to. They have the power where it counts. To the people that they're over, they're the ones in power, right? Right. It doesn't matter who's above them. 
in the sense of if you're being ruled by the huts. Right. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of interesting things going on with Dune. Um, so, sort of to speed this up a little bit, they find out somehow they get to they get to Arrakis. They decide to to start staying in the old capital city, not the one that the Harkonnens were in. Arakeen, I believe, is the one that that the Atreides are going to. Mm-hmm. Whatever they get, they get acclimated to the place, whatever as best they can. They go out and see how it all happens—the spice mining, all the stuff. Um, they they witness a worm destroying the entire yeah. Place. And Leto is really good about like being concerned about his men. But yeah, he so so you you see a lot about Leto and how what kind of person he is. But then you also tap into that Paul knows a lot because Paul senses because he sees. A couple Fremen run off, right? And Leah Kynes, who's the one who brought him out there, he was like, "Well, he plays off this like sort of, um, well, that's the danger of this job, you know, leave him be." And Leto's like, "No, we need to get him." But then Paul's sort of like, "The Leah Kynes is not telling the truth here, because he basically what and Kynes even infers that like you know he knows how to to properly adjust his still suit. He knows how yeah he can sense the Fremen." And it, it sort of kind of relates into that prophetic, yeah. you know, the prophecy of the Moabdib. It, yeah, and Paul keeps doing things. Like he, like the prophecy was that he, he would, he would greet them, uh, he would greet them with uh, religious? Uh, religion, like religious overtones of prophecy. And then bless their gifts. Mm-hmm. And then also that he would, uh, he would know their ways as if he was born to them or something like that. It, which ties into, we didn't talk about this. The Bene Gesserit, what's it called, the Maxima Proctiva or something yeah. like that? They they go they go to planets and sort of create the lore, the prophecy that will be fulfilled. So the Bene Gesserit has they came to Arrakis and laid down these prophecies a long time ago, mm-hmm. and now they're manipulating the system to where those prophecies are being fulfilled now. Now, to the extent of how they control it fully, I don't know. Well, it probably has something to do with the fact that they actually did have a male Benny Jesserit at one point, and he probably set the stage for a lot of that, oh. as what I imagine. All right, think about that. See, again, more more connections to the Will of Time. So in the Will of Time, there's all these Aes Sedai, who are basically the magic users, and there once was men and women, but then the male half of the, of the magic system got tainted. So all men who, who are magic-wielding, they either are killed because they could destroy the world or they they go crazy eventually. The magic makes them go crazy. So you have so now in the world that you're in, you only have women ones. But the savior of the world will be a male Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. So they're waiting for that, but they're also killing everyone. <laughs> they're also killing all these fake dragons reborn because they're afraid of a male who can channel magic. Right. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things that are going on. It's a little bit less to that extent doomed because they're not trying to kill all these males, but they were actively trying not to have one being born. You know, it's, 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 it one. is. It is. I mean, they, the Reverend Mother does say that it's his foolish pride. Mm. Even Jessica admits that it is pride that she would think that she was capable of harboring the first male Benny Jesserit yeah. or the um, golly man, Quizex Hatterack. Quizex Hatterack. But I mean, like, so that, you know, there, there is like a certain amount of like, well, this is impossible, but it's not, we don't know what the problem, you know. Yeah. 
Another cool thing about the book, if you if you're uh, reading it, there's a header at the beginning of each chapter that um, is like from a future time, right? Sort of giving you so it's the imperial daughter, yeah, Princess Orlon. Yeah, it's uh, so whatever they get back from their spice mining, I guess visual whatever, and they Duke the Duke gets a. They they intercept some kind of letter from the Harkonnens to some to the Emperor or somebody that there's a traitor amongst them, which was the plan of the Harkonnens. They were going to set up a traitor, but the traitor is Wellington Yui, and mm-hmm. the readers know that well in advance before it happens. Almost like chapter three or four. Yeah, yeah. You're, Cause, you're... Cause I think the header says that he will be known forever from this point as a traitor or something. Mm-hmm. But they set it up to make it think that it's Lady Jessica. And now the the Duke does not believe it's Lady Jessica, but he's he, he needs to buy into this trick. He needs to sell it. Right. So he tells Paul, like, listen, I don't I don't believe your mother is the traitor, but I'm gonna have to sell this. And if something were to happen to me, you need to let her know that I never lost faith in her. Right. Yeah. But what's funny is, and this will keep showing up, his counsel doesn't know that. Right. His counsel that was the thing. weird thing, is like, I feel like he should have let his mentat know. Yeah. It's I mean, like, I mean, like, isn't he a strategist? Like, why wouldn't you let the person who you're trying to suss out, the strategist, know? And I'm guessing, which, okay, another point, they don't think that the mentat is the traitor because the mentats are conditioned to a certain, no, wait, not the mentat. The doctor. It's the doctor, Yeah. Well, th- well, maybe he's got that diamond seal. He's been a what is it? It's like an imperial indoctrination. It's like a conditioning. A, it's some sort of conditioning. Yeah, he went to a certain school, right? Where, and they condition them so that way that these doctors won't because there's so much backstabbery. They they can't have a doctor that that, that could kill you. Like you, you can't have a doctor that's paid off by another house to kill them. Right. They need to be loyal to their houses. Either way. I guess maybe they didn't tell he didn't tell his mentat because he thought that mentat may be in on it. Right. That Th- Thufer Howitt mm-hmm. thinks that that he that maybe why he didn't tell him. But you find out that there is a way around that conditioning, and yeah. it's because Yui hates the Harkonnens because they stole his Benny Gesserit wife and basically tortured and killed her. Yeah, and I believe book one ends where. The betrayal has has occurred. It's been Yui is his paralyzed Lado. But he has told him that... He gave him a false tooth. Yeah, false tooth. With poison in it. And then once he bites hey, down on hey, it, it'll... It'll kill everyone basically in the room. But before he can even do that, Piter, the Mentat for the Harkonnen, the corrupted assassin Mentat, uh, kills Yui. Yeah. And but, then Lado he... bites the tooth, kills Piter, some of the guardsmen... And then almost gets, almost kills Baron Harkonnen, but doesn't because Baron Harkonnen has a shield on. But now the Yui told him that because Yui was like, "You're going to die either way, so just follow me. I, I'll at least be able for you to take out Baron as well." And then promises to keep Lady Jessica and Paul Atreides alive. Yeah. So okay. So this is a confusion for me. So his whole plan was to. So the Harkonnens were going to get. We're, we're going to uh, attract a traitor. So his whole idea was, it might as well be me, and I'll do it, but it's all because what I'll end up killing Baron at, 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 you know, within it. 
Is the only true? reason he got around his social conditioning, Yui, is because the Harkonnens had his wife, the Bene Gesserit. Mm-hmm. And somehow that that want for revenge was so strong that it actually broke his conditioning, that imperial but, conditioning. But his way of, of, of killing Vladimir because of his hatred was to go along with him being the traitor. Because what, what wait, I'm getting wait, at wait, is wait, why, wait. Why, why go through all this? Why paralyze the Duke mm-hmm. to then try to get the Vladimir killed? Why? The Vladimir? Oh, that's his... Oh, sorry. The Baron. His first name is Vladimir. Oh, okay. Sorry. Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Mm-hmm. Why follow through with all this if his end game isn't really to kill Duke? It's to kill Baron. I guess that's just the closest way he can to kill the Baron. See, I thought it was because... And maybe I'm read. I thought I I thought I I gathered this from some of the information in the context was the the Harkonnens would would have been able to get a traitor at some point anyway and potentially then, and so Wellington Yui was like I will do this that way I have control over the situation of of the betrayal and I can give it I can give the the gas thing to the Duke in, I think that's just a silver lining for him to uh, break his social conditioning I don't think. His plan was, I can get the. I think he just wanted to kill the Baron. Okay. Okay. Well, that's sort of that. That's... And the the Harkonnens had to kill everyone, anyone involved with anything, because they were going to be, in like you know they they is very, you know, in in legal terms like very to the book. I mean like he he couldn't know what could happen, so he couldn't he could pass, because basically the Bene Gesserit have a. Uh, the equivalent of a, like a polygraph, like a human poly- polygraph, mm-hmm. and uh, they would question everyone. So you know, plausible deniability is what the Harkonnens were all about. Yeah. So kill anyone involved. Huey had to die. Uh, Huey, and then uh, anyone who, even the people who transported Jessica and Paul Trades, they had to die when they got back. Yeah, I mean that was mentioned. Anyone because they couldn't go back to the Imperial. Because it would basically align the houses against yeah. the Empire. Yeah. And it was supposed to basically undermine the Atreides so they couldn't become the Empire, the you know, yeah. the Emperor. At the same time, not give too much credit to the houses aligning and going against the Emperor also. A lot of political intrigue in this. Yeah, there, it, it's... Um... Yeah, there is a lot of political intrigue. Um, well, that was a pretty quick roundabout mismatch way of describing the first part of mm-hmm. Dune. Um, the first part is very much set up. Yeah. The, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you guys, I mean, because you think there's a lot going on. There's betrayal, there, and there is. That's not to say, but, like, there is so much set up. You really have to understand, like, the way Jessica handles what. And how uh, how uh, Yui sort of manipulates Jessica to not suspect him uh, because he was sort of trained by the Bene Gesserit wife that he lost to the Harkonnens. And the Harkonnens have to basically eliminate anyone setting up like the beast eventually to be the uh, guiding hand of Arrakis, especially after Piter died. Mm. Yeah, so there's a lot to set up. And if we skimmed over some stuff when we when we get back to doing book two which is called uh muabdib mm-hmm. we may have to do a little touch up we there may be some stuff that we skimmed over it's 
there, there's just so much. There's to so unpack. much stuff. I mean, like we could break it. You, the best way to do this would be chapter by chapter, yeah. but we're not going to do that. We're going to give you. We're going to tell you up front. We recommend this book. Yeah. Uh, there is a film coming, so it'd be worth a read. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of a general overview. And yeah. the general overview for book one is it's it's a, essentially a betrayal. It's very Shakespearean betrayal yeah. for setup. And it's it, it literally plays itself out like Hamlet. You know, father gets killed, uncle is a bastard. Yeah. Uh, you can look at it as the Lion King. It's this tale as old as time, except yeah. that Baron Harkonnen ain't an uncle. He's a grandfather. Oh, I kind of spoiled that. Well... You'll find out in book two. In book two, but uh, so you know, we hope you enjoyed this episode, uh, and we hope that you uh, come back for the next one. We will have a little bit different stuff going on. Like I think we teased that, you know, a little bit more spooky stuff, some Lovecraftian, and maybe a format. Yeah, maybe a format. The the uh, the the search, our adventure to find a. We like just talking, but I think that there is something to be said for. Making, you know, I was thinking one of the best things to do is to try to narrow it down to a time frame. Yeah. And actually time our segments so we know when we wrap up a couple topics and timer. Well, look forward to that, and uh, we hope that you uh, had a good smoke with us, and uh, we'll see you next month. Next month, guys.